Hi everyone, I'm Bryce Ahmed and welcome to Guru Live for a session on Limbo, part of the Guru Live Online 2022 programme. It's a joint initiative between BAFTA Scotland and BAFTA Cymru, where all week we will be celebrating and inspiring the next generation of talent with panels, masterclasses and discussions. Now, a little bit of housekeeping before we start. Now, you can ask questions. Please send them in via the Q&A function on Zoom. You can start doing that straight away if you've got questions now, but please keep them coming in. Um, closed captioning is available now, which you can turn on at the bottom of your screen. Um, and you can also join the conversation on social media using hashtag GuruLive. Now, our session today looks at the film Limbo. Set and shot in Scotland, um, it's an award-winning film which includes wins at the BAFTA Scotland Awards and the BIFAs. It's globally critically acclaimed and has been a, a fast audience favourite. Now, we are so excited to be joined today by writer-director Ben Sharrick as we dig into the process of making and sharing limbo with the world. Um, I will say we were due to have producer Ayruni Gurtubai with us as well, but she's been unable to join us as um, she's got a four month old who is a little bit under the weather today. But um, Ben will have lots of insight for us. So I'm sure I'm sure we'll dig into all everything with him. Here I am. Hi Ben, <clears throat> how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, good. It's really lovely to see you. Um, I think the last time we saw each other in person was at Edinburgh Film Festival or something. It's been a long time. I was I was going to say that because I mean, we were just having a, a little chat before we went live, and then I was just thinking as I was <laughs> as you were doing the introduction, I was like, oh, we, we you know we actually met you know quite a few years ago, but we've not seen each other probably since um, like the talent lab, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep, and you've made and a lot's happened since then. then. Yeah. A lot has happened, so I'm really excited to, to hear more about um, how Limbo came about. Now, so, some of the people watching may not know um, about your journey as a filmmaker, so I think it'd be quite good to get some sort of insight into how did you come to making film, um, and how is it that you and Irene started working together, because most of your projects, possibly all your projects, you've made together. Could you give us a bit of insight into that? Yeah, I mean, just to say as well, from my side, it's a real shame that Irene can't join us. We're a filmmaking partnership. We're also married. To, it's also my baby. That's not, not well. He's he's doing a lot better. He's okay. Uh, but um, but yeah. So our our kind of stories and our our journey, our journeys, you know, towards uh, being filmmakers is, is very sort of interconnected. Um, but um, yeah. So starting off from from the beginning for me. Um, I so my un, so before I went into filmmaking, so my undergraduate degree was was in Arabic and politics, um, and then I spent my third year in Syria, and it was actually during my time there that I started thinking about film and started kind of imagining um, short stories in my mind, and kind of then thinking, oh, maybe I need to write these down, and I. I came back from my final year of university um, and there was a module available on Middle Eastern cinema. Um, and so then basically I ended up specializing in Middle Eastern cinema um, in my final year and writing my dissertation around that subject and hosting Middle Eastern film nights at the university. And I, and I was really inspired by the films that I was seeing from um, throughout the Middle East, Arabic films and from Iran as well. Um, and it was after seeing uh, Elias Suleiman's film, The Time That Remains, and then in quite quick succession, um, a film called The Band's Visit by Aaron Collarin, that I decided I wanted to be a film director. And my next move, you know, at that point, like looking at kind of graduate schemes in Aldi and things like that, that my next move would be to, to go to film school. Um, and um, so that's what I did. I finished uh, university. Um, I, I finished all my exams on the Friday, and then I'd never made a short film before. Really, I'd made some some kind of films and, and things in when I was in school. But I shot my first film um, on you know, so finished the exams on Friday. Shot my first film on the yeah. Sunday, which I needed to get into film school. And I borrowed some friend from uh, some equipment from a family friend and shot it with my mom and dad in in the house and and all of that, and then sent it off. And then 
had my interview and then ended up going to um, Screen Academy Scotland in Edinburgh for the master's program. Um, and at the time I was the only one that, that hadn't come from a film um, background from a, an undergraduate film degree. Um, so I had a lot of catching up to do in terms of the kind of technical side of things and just the study of film in, in, in general. Um, and that's where I met Arune. Um, and um, we started to work together. Initially, actually, Arune was studying cinematography and we started to work together as, as cinematographer director. And then but she'd done a lot of producing in her undergraduate degree. And then she ended up kind of producing my graduate film. Um, and we also became a couple. Um, and then we ended up going to Dubai straight after the masters um, and we were both working there in advertising she was working um, in production with a production company i was working as a creative in an agency and then we realized that um, we both wanted to make films we both wanted to make feature films and, and, and not commercials um, so we were kind of trying to find a way out and a way to do that and then we ended up getting scholarships to come back to Screen Academy Scotland um, to do their MFA programme. Um, so that's what we did. We worked on the MFA programme together as a partnership. We, we joined the programme as a partnership, as a producer-director uh, relationship. And we worked towards our final film um, that was kind of was quite self-led and you work towards a film at the end of it, sort of a year and a half long. Um, the film that we had was actually a short film um, that was set in the Sahrawi refugee camps in southern Algeria. And we ended up going out there working with an NGO um, and also kind of developing the short story, uh, the short film. And then we weren't able to make that film because we couldn't get the insurance to go back out because Al Qaeda started operating in the area. So it's too okay. dangerous. And then that's how Picadero came about, which was my first feature film and, and Rune's as well, which was self-funded, a self-funded low budget film, um, which we made a short version of for the MFA. And then, and then shortly after we made the feature film version and then that premiered in San Sebastian Film Festival. So we graduated from the, from the, the MFA um, in around March and then we premiered at Picadero in, in September that, that year in, 2015 and then since then we've just been making films really and that we've been quite lucky because we sort of immediately came out of film school and made Picadero and then we were sort of then we kind of we made it outside of the industry and, and with very little money um, but we kind of attracted the attention of, of the industry and off the back of that you know, I got an agent and all of that kind of thing so then then it, following that it was you know it was everything was sort of focused on on limbo but that was a very long process which we'll go into I'm yeah sure. you get there yeah it, it kind of sometimes a journey takes a while and then it snowballs doesn't it and yeah. and so limbo does that have then roots in that short film that you never got to make like what what brought you to limbo did you did you find the film quite quickly or was it a subject matter that you knew you wanted to explore but it took a bit of while to figure out how you were going to explore it yeah exactly so <clears throat> following Picadero it was kind of I'd already sort of started to not establish started to establish maybe my kind of process or think about my process and how I kind of formulate ideas and conceptualize things and with Picadero what it started with was a subject matter which was the economic crisis and how that affects young how that was affecting young people in in Spain and particularly in the in the Basque region, in the context of Picadero, um, and then finding a way to talk about that subject matter as a backdrop, um, and putting a sort of very human story in in the foreground. So, um, after kind of taking the journey, the film festival journey, all of that kind of thing with Picadero, and it was time to kind of you know what's the next project. I was still very interested in um, in the refugee subject matter, and I felt like it was, you know, something that was I was very passionate about, and it felt like there was unfinished business there. Um, and it was also becoming more and more prevalent in the media. And of course, you know, I left 
Syria um, just a year before the civil war started there as well. So, and I was still in touch with people, uh, friends that I'd made in 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 Damascus, um, and uh, and yes, yeah, so I was very drawn to the subject matter, and particularly from the angle of of, of what was going on in in Syria, um, and it started there. It started with the subject matter, but then it was a, a long process of figuring out how to approach that subject matter, how to tell a story with that subject matter, but also with my sensibility as a filmmaker and my voice and, and doing the things that, that I wanted to, to achieve creatively um, uh, with it. And that would also kind of, I guess, find a, a, a space or try and kind of treat that subject matter in, in a different way. So, so how did you how did you decide to take it from that sort of refugee camp setting and bring it to Scotland? What what made you kind of go, this is the story needs to be told here? What was it? Was there something that kind of sparked that, or was it just um, you were determined to make a film in Scotland? What was it that made you do that? I think it was a combination of things because I think it started with, you know, like a huge amount of research and and you know a lot of different kinds of research as well um you know watching other films watching documentaries reading books newspaper articles academic essays speaking to people that have been through the asylum system uh, speaking to organizations that work with with asylum seekers and i think that what came up which what kept coming up was this this space kind of in between before getting leave to remain that space of being in uh, being in limbo and how damaging um that can be and also um, the other key part of it was identity, and, and that was what we were actually working on in the refugee camps in, in southern Algeria. The project was about identity and about how um, the label of being a refugee affects identity. That, so that's, that's what we were doing there, and we were going around speaking to lots of different people in the camps, but also going to schools and asking kids like what how, to, to, to kind of draw pictures of themselves and their families, and of course none of those those um, drawings were about them being refugees, you know, they were all about them being superheroes and stuff. Um, and um, so that was really kind of at the core of it. I knew that it was sort of what I wanted to write about was that that period of time being in limbo and it, about being identity and about um, the character kind of coming to, to terms with his identity um, as a refugee. and. But you know, it, it was it took a, a, a long time, and I, there were a few different iterations and a few different ideas. And you know, originally the project was going to be set set in the Arctic, and it was to do with the polar crossing um, through through um, Russia in, to, into Finland. Um, and we actually ended up location sort of location scouting within the development process in Iceland. Um, we were invited to Reykjavik Film Festival and then we managed to get a little bit of funding to extend our trip and, and travel around the northwest fjords um, and it was there that that I realized that this film can be in Scotland so you know, <laughs> you know we were in these tiny fishing villages in, in the middle of nowhere in the, the sort of vastness of the landscape and I think that creatively those things were in my mind quite early on is using the landscape and kind of how that how the landscape and the environment can be alienating and creating this feeling of isolation in the character um, and how that kind of corresponds with, with with what he's going through in terms of his identity and then also obviously it being the arctic kind of environment and and iceland that also stayed with me as well and wanting to use that kind of um, you know, wintry environment and, and you know, the northern lights that we were chasing the entire time that we were in Iceland when we were there for prime northern light season and we'd never saw them. Uh, <laughs> so then we thought I would just create them in the film instead. <laughs> and, and so that development process, I mean, it sounds like you were working on this for quite a while before you found the story you wanted to tell. A couple of questions about that. One would be around you know how you and I really work together in those sort of early development process is it is it something that you're constantly um in conversation about or, or do you go away and, and try and figure out something by yourself and and how long did that process go on until you you went to um your funders and said we've got a film for you 
give us money to develop it like what how, how long was that process yeah so i mean to, so to answer your, your first question i think we were, it's interesting because we were just talking about this a little bit because we've just had a baby and i'm realizing kind of how now how integral rune is to my writing process because before I would be able to just you know walk into the kitchen at any point not that she's always in the kitchen <laughs> or whatever room she was in uh, and and start talking about the film and start talking about what's in my head and and, and kind of bouncing ideas off her and you know or if I was kind of wrestling with a problem to just kind of go to her and try and talk things out um so I was really lucky to have that and now you know with a baby you just can't do that anymore so so I'm realizing yeah how kind of um important she is to the process and you know so she is there from the very beginning in terms of actually formulating the idea and I think that she's it sort of goes in stages because she's quite a big part of that because you go through so, so many different ideas and try to like talk things out and think what's going to work so that'll be quite sort of constant conversation um, and then I think I kind of go into my head for quite a long time and just try and get to that next point where I'm sort of ready to talk about it. Um, but having that person who you kind of absolutely trust and you also know um, can sort of see in to your head and you know, know see your vision as well and understands your vision and, and understands what, what you want to achieve creatively to have that is so important because you know, you, you can say something to, you know, three different people and they'll each have a different idea in their own heads of, 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 you know, what you're saying and kind of imagining, you know, what the final film might end up like or where the story might go. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of, so yeah, so that's, that's how we work. It, it kind of goes in stages. I, I kind of do spend a lot, sort of long periods of time kind of on, on my own and just sort of trying to sort of wrestle things and think things through. And then there'll be stages where we're constantly talking or yeah. but she's there, which is, you know. Such really, a luxury, such a, isn't it? Yeah. As a writer to be able to just have your producer there and just be like, help me figure out this, 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 this issue that I'm having. And, and yeah. do, you have, do you have anything that, um, that you have like rituals or anything like do you listen to music do you go for long walks is there is there something that helps you kind of unlock things when you're in that process of trying to figure things out um yes yeah a lot like um i mean getting out is 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 really important i listen to music as well throughout the writing process so what i uh, what i do with music is that i assemble a playlist so, um, for the film um, and that sort of like it's not necessarily it's not necessarily about uh, tracks that are that I think are going to represent the score of the film mm -hmm. um, but they put me into the headspace of, of, of the film into the headspace of writing the film so if I listen to music then that's like my focus goes into to that that project um, so I use music as well to separate out projects and things. Um, and, um, and then yes, I get out like I, so I only write in the mornings and then I basically um, try and get out and cycle um, uh, or take long walks with the dog or things like that. But I also consume a lot of stuff to do with film. So I'll, whenever I'm cycling or I'm walking, I'm listening to podcasts about film, listening to directors talking about film, listening to cinematographers, editors, whoever it is, producers talking about films. Um, and kind of that really sort of helps me figure things out, but also helps motivate me um, because being a writer is very solitary and it can be very, you can feel very sort of isolated and, and lonely as well, even though I have a Rune there but you're kind of doing this thing in this room. And it's like, I think going out and listening to other people who are doing those things as well. And sort of, you know, to, and also people that are talking about the film making process is really useful because listening to people talking about production, because when I'm writing, what I want to do is be in production and making the film. So then I'm like, hearing stories about production and that's motivating me to get through the writing so I can get to the production stage 
And then when I'm in production, I want to be in the edit. And when I'm in the edit, I want to be writing again. So it's kind of, um, yeah, so. There's a goal. There's a goal that you're always trying kind of aiming for the next thing. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then it just, and then in terms of the, the, the timeline, which I think that you, you yeah. So I asked, yeah. So how long was it? So how long was it just the two of you? And at what point did you then start ah. to have other people come in? And and you know, were you going out? And did you know who you wanted to pitch to? Um, did you pitch to a number of different people? Like, what what was that process like? Yeah. So again, we were quite lucky because um, at the time of so after Picadero. At that time, um, there was the um, Scottish Film Talent Network um, and they had a first feature fund. And we were sort of in a bit of a loophole because we had made a feature film and that feature film had been around the world and been to A-list festivals and had also been released in cinemas in different countries in Europe, but it hadn't been released in the UK um, theatrically and it wasn't funded by the industry so we were still kind of so basically they let us have that first feature access to that first feature fund um but the way that they did it was also really useful because they were very hands-off and they were like okay we want to support you um but you've already kind of made a feature film you've already proven yourself so we're just going to let you get on with it um and having that space and time to explore the idea and what was next um, and different iterations of the idea without having that kind of like pressure or, or or a kind of funder sort of hanging over you was just so useful um, uh, and and then yeah so it kind of it went through it, that SFTN funded the first two drafts of, of the screenplay um, and then um we sent it to uh, film four and we sent it to bbc films um on a second draft i mean like you know an external second draft and it, an internal sort of like hundred yeah. yeah um uh and we sent it so we sent it to bbc films and, and and film four and we had we were very lucky to get offers from both um and um, but we were sort of quite adamant that we, because of the the, the sort of uh, creative aspects of the film, that we we wanted to. We, so this was sort of just like this, like November or something. Anyway, so we had an we had an answer from them in like January, two thousand eighteen, and we we were very adamant that we wanted to shoot the film in November two thousand eighteen because of the kind of creative elements in 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 the film. Um, and basically we film four kind of backed us at that point for production they, and they were like okay we'll shoot it in this year in october november we're going to back it for production we went with them and they kept their promise and and we were shooting that november so amazing that's it's a bit of a dream process isn't it when it everything falls into place that quickly and and so then was that the point at which Angus Lamont came on as a producer as well. Um, and, and how did that change the dynamic? Because obviously you and Irene are this solid team that have always been working together. And now you have another producer come in. That and, and also this is your first film where you've got funding and it's not, it's not just everything is, is on the two of you. Um, what was what what was that process like? Yeah, that was it was, I mean, it was amazing with Angus. He, he was brilliant. Um, and so the way that it worked was that the um so we by the time angus came on we already had that commitment to we had we already had the funding in, in place um and the financiers were also really good about it because rune wanted to have another producer and a more experienced producer to work with um and we were talking about a few different ways to do that whether to have like an executive producer that sort of oversees things or to have an actual like you know another producer to to work with um and um she decided that she would prefer to have a, another producer rather than just having a kind of exec that you can call up and just sort of oversees things and that maybe is not as committed um 
maybe maybe you know, I'm sure there are execs in in that context that are but but we were hearing kind of different stories about that as well um so we started sending the script out and we spoke to a few different producers um to, to come on board and and you know that was also so that person understood what my process was and also what the working relationship was between me and Arune and what we made very clear from the beginning was that really the sort of creative side of it is with me and Arune so we weren't looking for a producer to come in and in a creative context what we were looking for was a producer to help Arune navigate the producing side of of um the film in this the context of, of having a fully financed film with a with much bigger budget than than she'd ever dealt with before and there's so many different things that that she learned i also learned along the way in in that process of things that that, that, that you need the amount of paperwork um and uh so it was more that sort of context than to have someone to kind of come along and take this journey with us and and we were just I think as soon as we met Angus, we kind of knew that he was the one uh, mm -hmm. that we wanted to work with, and and he and he was just brilliant all the way through. He was such a kind of he was very respectful of um, me and Arune's relationship, of kind of my process and how he sort of fits into that, and and he just kind of did it perfectly. Um, and uh yeah and so you know like he's he i mean he's still kind of quite a big part of our lives because we still speak to him all the time <laughs> uh uh and yeah 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 when when you find those people that you can work with really well you hold on to them don't you um, exactly. and and in terms of what so you're now you've got the money you're ready to to kind of begin the process of production um was shooting in the outer hebrides always the plan or was it that you you went there on a location scout and you were just like this is the place, um, and 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 I'm, I'm I'm assuming there haven't been many things shot there, have there? So there must have been a, an added challenge with that as well. Yeah, so I mean, it, so it's, we're the first feature film to have shot on on newest, um, and it was so again it was kind of taking things that i'd learned from picadero and applying them to the process with limbo and that's always kind of what i've said which is a bit interesting is that like i always see limbo as my second feature creatively but it's my first feature like in terms of the industry which changes a you know a, a huge amount um but creatively one of the things that i did with picadero was that i built location scouting into the writing process um and so i wanted to do that again with with limbo so i got to the point where i think it was actually the second draft of the screenplay and i was like you know i like i'm from edinburgh and i've been to sky and um i've been to the highlands and things but i've not really been to a remote scottish island like the one that i'm writing about um so I felt like I needed to go out there, so that's what I did, and I I went out and and ended up um, go, you know going to this cottage in in the middle of nowhere with with no signal, no Wi-Fi, um, and writing the screenplay um, there. Um, and so I'd write in the mornings, and I would travel or travel around the island in the afternoons, and discover and take photos of a lot of the locations the majority of the locations and actually the the sort of planimetric wide shots that have that ended up in the final film um and that was just hugely useful to 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 my process um but then what happened was that obviously uist is very difficult to shoot on and it could make the film a lot more expensive um, so we, the, the financiers kind of encouraged us to, to look elsewhere and see if there was anywhere on the mainland or one of the islands that are connected by a bridge like Sky um, that would make it, you know, that would lower the risk. Um, so that's what we did. And we ended up traveling all around Scotland and we looked at, we looked at Kintyre, we looked at the Northeast, we looked, uh, we also looked around, around Sky a little bit. Um, 
And what I did was basically take uh, location photos in all of those different places and then separate them out into documents to present to the financiers. Um, and I really did try with the, the other locations as well to kind of get the best sort of like sh shots to rep, you know, to, to show what, what the film would look like. Um, and presenting those different places, it was just clear that Eurist was just something else. It was out of this world. Um, we hadn't seen these sort this sort of Scotland on on in a, in a kind of fiction feature film before, and it was just very obvious to everyone. Like well, this is where we we need to shoot this film. This is you know so that kind of sold it um, to the financiers, and then they kind of backed us all the way to go and do that. How long a shoot was it? How many weeks were you shooting? Um, I think it was twenty six days originally, and then I think we extended to about thirty days. But by using the the weekends, <laughs> so it was six day six day weeks, which was absolutely brutal. Um, yeah, I suppose when you're so remote and everyone's so cut off, everyone maybe just wants to get the job done, don't they? As well, and and be able to get home. And and so in terms of the casting, um, did you have people in mind for roles as you were writing? Was it similar to locations? You were kind of envisioning who you wanted to play your characters. Or was it more of a, a search after you'd written the screenplay? Um, yeah, I did start imagining people during the writing process, but I, I think I wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily thinking of, of, of the final casting. It was just to kind of, I think, it's sort of for something to kind of creatively work within in the process to me, for me to kind of put a, a face to the character. Like I actually, had um, Sally Bakri, who is in both of the films that I mentioned, um, The Time That Remains mm. and The Band's Visit. Um, so I'd always kind of had him in my in my head for, uh, for Omar, but he's a lot older now. So, you know, when I actually came to casting, you know, he, he, he you know, he wasn't suitable for the, for the role, but um, so, no, so then we, we, we worked with um, Danny, Jackson at, at Calling Crawford casting, um, and and that again was we, you know we were really lucky to ha just have a really good experience um, working with him, and and we did quite a sort of it was quite a straightforward um, at first a kind of traditional way of casting, and then we tried lots of different things as well. Like we 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 looked at uh, at casting some. Um, non-actors in in these key roles as well and you know I was quite keen to to in a sort of a, like early stages I was quite keen to to cast a Syrian refugee um, and and also an, an Afghan refugee and we looked into that um, and we tried to do that but it was very difficult um, for a number of different reasons, but also it's very difficult because it's actually, you know, legally it's very difficult to do that because the status of a refugee. And we came, we had this problem later on because we did have real, real refugees in the film, and we faced these problems because they have to put down a profession in their asylum application, and then they have to do that profession. So we were trying to basically, we had to employ them as actors. But they're not actually allowed to be actors because they've put another oh. profession, like being a lawyer or or whatever yeah. it is, in their in in their application. Um. So so anyway, so that was very difficult. And then we ended. We did a sort of worldwide search um, for for the four main guys, and and then no one was quite clicking for um, Omar. And I was kind of just spending my like nights awake trying to like googling um actors from the middle east that could play this character and and eventually came across a still uh, image um online of 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 amir and and it was just like i just when i saw his face and it was actually a still from the night manager um yeah. and i yeah and just as soon as i saw him and i was like that that's omar um and then we, and then Danny Jackson, you know, got got in touch, and he ended up doing an initial, uh, an initial 
video audition, taped audition, and he was brilliant from the very beginning. And he he kind of really sort of got it. Um, and then we brought him in in person, and it was just a very very quick decision. So he ended up being the first person that that we cast. Um, and then with the others, it was different things going on. We had like we had improvised sessions with uh, Vikash, who who plays Farhad. Um, we brought him in to do like a half hour hot seat improvised. Um, so we interviewed him in, in character. Um, and that's kind of what ended up getting him the, the, the job after I think this was maybe like seven auditions or something like that. Um, but he, you know, he was just by that, it was by that time he was, you know, he was just so brilliant and he, he'd done so much work because he'd also looked into the character. Um, he'd read everything sort of in, in the script, but then that he could bring out in this interview uh, and also, you know, things about his backstory and his relationship to Omar. The first audition that he came to as well, he also had the moustache. Um, <laughs> So, you know, he, he, he really sort of paid a lot of attention to detail and he was very committed um, early on. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're wonderful on screen and, and just, yeah, just so sensitive, the performances. So, I mean, the cast is one of my favorite things about the film, I have to say. Um, okay, we are, we are fast running out of time. We're gonna, we've got another 20 minutes and I've got so many questions still to ask you. Um, I'm talking too much, but hopefully no, it's... No, you're not. This is all so interesting. I told you I would do this. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think, I think what it's doing is it's giving us a lot of insight into the process. And, and that's the most useful thing that we often don't get to hear. Um, so I'm going to take us on to the edit process now. Um, and you have a very specific style with your films. Um, and so do you have an editor that you are constantly working with? What is that process of, of working with your editor? Do you, do you give them storyboards and go, this is what, what the film is going to look like? Or do you just give them the footage and then go in and see the, that first assembly? Like, what is, what is that process for you with yeah. the edit? Yeah, um, it was a really interesting one with Limbo because we had, we had a really long post-production and it was, I mean, that was... The main reason for that really was because we just really wanted to make the best film that we possibly could and we really wanted to do justice to the subject matter and we we it was a huge amount of work that went into to, to balancing the tone of the film and to just you know achieve really what you know what I want wanted to achieve with it and and um, and we were afforded the space and time to do that again, which was again another great thing that the financiers did was that they um, just allowed us to have the time that we needed. And um, one of the mistakes that we did, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'll go back. One of the mistakes that, that we made in, in the process, which is I think is interesting for people to hear, is that we, we showed the financiers the film too early. So even though that they were you know, really sort of uh, uh, hands off and, and allowed us to just kind of get on with it. Um, you, you know, that these people are part of the team and they're really useful because they're really useful to have these kind of other, you know, eyes on, on the film and to feed back. And you, and I realized, because we didn't have that with people there, and I realized that, you know, as, as the director, it's your job to, it's not, your job to tell everyone what to do all the time. It's your job to get the most out of the people that you're working with. And in my head, I didn't, I realized later that it's also my job to get the most out of the execs. Um, and you don't think about that when with your first feature, you're like, they're like, you kind of see them as kind of like the bosses somehow, but it's actually your job to get the most out of them. And that's what, um, yeah, so that was a mistake, was showing them too early when we weren't ready to show them, when we were sort of still kind of finding the film in, in, in the edit. Um, uh, I think we showed them like a cut that was like three hours long and I think they were just like, oh. and that was like <laughs> a killer move, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so, so that it, again, I was, you know, lucky because it, creatively it was my second film. I'd already worked with with 
Carol um, Dolak on Picadero, and um, he was out in US the ent entire time as well. So he was on the ground kind of, um, uh, he wasn't the DIT, we had another DIT, but he was sort of like organizing everything and kind of cutting bits um, together while we were there. But I didn't actually want to look at anything while we were okay. shooting. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and we edited it in, in San Sebastian in Spain, which is where we were living at the time. Um, that was also kind of really useful in a way. It was really nice to be sort of away, like to not be in London at that point or to be in, in Edinburgh or Glasgow where like basically people can turn up. Um, and so we were just sort of away in our own space and where we could get, get on with things. Um, and we, yeah, so we, we spent sort of a long time on it, getting it to a certain point. Um, I, so in terms of my process, I go in, I'm there the entire time. So I'm, I'm, I like to be very hands-on. Um, so it's basic, it's very much like me and Carol working together um, the entire time. And then um, at certain points, you know, we would talk about things and then he would kind of go away and maybe cut the scene or work more on a scene and then come back and review it and then work on that again. Um, so that's what we did for, for quite a long time. I'm not sure how long it was, but then we kind of, we got to a point where I felt like, um, like I, I felt like I, I needed another editor to come in and get the film to the next point. And I was looking at something very specific that was about really about the rhythm of the film. So a lot of it was in place in terms of the structure um, of it, um, how the scenes were cut together, how the, the, the sort of shape of, of the story. But I, I wanted to work more specifically on on the rhythm of the film. And, and, I, and I always say rhythm because I don't, I don't know, pacing is, it doesn't quite work for me. Like it was more about a rhythm, like a kind of musicality of how we kind of move through the film. And, um, and so we brought on Lucia Zucchetti and we moved the edit to London. And again, this is it's important to say that this, like, this was entirely our own decision, that this was what we wanted to do. This wasn't something that we were pressured into by execs or financiers and this kind of stories that, that you hear. This was something that creatively we felt was the best thing for the film. And Carol was very understanding of that. Um, and Lucia was very understanding of the work that Carol had done on the film and also very under, uh, and kind of wanting to retain that, you know, what we had already sort of achieved creatively. Um, so then Lucia came in, we worked for a period of time in London. And then I got to the point where basically the film was like 95% done um, and then I felt like I wanted to bring Carol back to finish the film because of the way that I work with with Carol specifically and that kind of hands-on nature of it um, and we needed to figure out actually we what we needed to figure out was the end the the final um, scene the concert and so at that time Carol was way up north in Nairn and we went up uh, to Nairn in winter and it was snowing and we were finishing the film and this was like I don't I not now I'm I don't know what the timeline was it's quite a long long uh process and and then we just again worked really hands-on across a week or across two weeks um finishing the film and just tying everything together um and that was it so it was actually kind of a really nice way to do it and it worked really yeah well in the end and it's sort of it was really interesting creatively to have like the the, the 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 editor sort of hand off onto someone else who could achieve something different or something else with the film and then for it to come back and and that kind of thing so yeah yeah sounds like a really um 
exciting process and was I really part of this entire process as well or would she yeah. kind of come in and and what about Angus was he was he as involved uh so Rune was there um most of the time so she 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 wasn't there kind of every day like I was but but she was there a lot of the time so she was there throughout San Sebastian throughout the London period of editing and then up in Nairn with us as well um and then Angus was there less so he wasn't as involved but we wanted again to 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 use Angus in the best possible way and to get the most out of Angus so that was also kind of keeping Angus a little bit back so then we could bring him in at the right time for him to watch it and kind of give his feedback and give his opinion um but he he yeah he wasn't as involved uh, throughout that process and I think he was he was also uh, I think maybe at the time he was working on working on something else for a period of of, of the post-production as well Okay, um, so I do have some audience questions, but I do also want to ask you about the festival run. So what I'll do is I'll quickly ask you that question, then I'll go to audience questions. Um, so in terms of, of the release of the film, um, it's, you know, it's been so successful with festivals. Um, and then you've had, you've had a, a release period um, in the cinemas as well. And you did some kind of set events around, around that as well. I mean, did you did you have a plan of how you wanted the release to go? I mean, con considering the subject matter as well, um, was it always we're going to do festivals first and then we're going to do a cinema release? Was that always the plan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think the festival. I mean, for me, the big kind of ambition from the beginning of the the film, the beginning, very beginning of the process, was to get the film to Cannes, and that's been a big ambition of mine. You know since I started making films. So I really wanted this film to be a Cannes film. And, and that was kind of like, and I wanted it to get a theatrical release, but I was more focused on getting the film to Cannes um, than thinking about the theatrical release. And then I think as it kind of gained momentum, as we did get into Cannes, and then we, and then the, the, the reception of the film in, in, in Toronto and in London and, and things like that, and we started to think about, um, and as movie came on board, um, then you know we 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 then it was a it was a lot of, of I, I put a lot of energy into that as well because I really wanted to get the most out of the theatrical release and to kind of help movie in any way that I could as as a director, and they were brilliant and they were such a kind of pleasure to work with they were they really understood the film and they really had a vision of of what to do um with the film in terms of the theatrical release um and so they they were great to work with in, in lots of different ways um but also you know the, the the big thing obviously was the pandemic which affected us throughout the festival run because then you know we got the can label but the, the festival didn't go ahead so you know we didn't have the premiere we didn't travel to toronto for the you know with the only festival that we we were able to attend in person was San Sebastian um because we were there at the time but it was very like very very reduced when we were there and you know so it was it was very strange going through the festival journey um and you know and then with the award season as well a similar thing with with the 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 BAFTAs being online and then we weren't able to attend BAFTA Scotland but it wasn't running as normal anyway um, and then with the theatrical release, when we released, there, I think the, the cinemas were only at 25% capacity. So, um, but it felt like it kind of gained momentum and it felt like even with that 25% capacity, people were seeing the film and, re and responding to it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it is about the quality of the experience rather than the quantity at times. Um, yeah. I mean, everything I've seen in terms of buzz has been positive. So I think you've definitely, you've definitely hit point there. I'm gonna to go to our first audience question, which maybe links into some of that. Um, so Samuel has asked, are there any aspects of the refugee experience that you wanted to include in the film, but couldn't because it didn't work within the context of the film's story? I think there are loads like, loads of aspects of the refugee experience aren't in the film 
And I think that that was, you know, part of the kind of struggle of uh, developing and, and, and writing the film um, because it's this huge subject matter. And then you're like, in the beginning, you're like, how am I, you know, you're trying to write a film about this entire subject matter. And then gradually you realize that it's just impossible. And mm. if, even if you did manage it, it probably wouldn't be a very good film. So the only way to do it was to really focus it down on the kind of the, the individual um, stories. Um, and yeah, so, so th there are, you know, a lot of the, 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 the refugee experiences is, you know, is neglected. It's not in the film. It's, it's um, but yeah, unfortunately. Have you had any yeah. views with um, with refugee communities, and have you had a reaction from them that that's kind of to to what to what they think of the film? Yeah, we've had we've had loads, um, we've had loads, and and it and it's just been overwhelmingly positive. Um, it's just been a really amazing experience. Um, Doing that, which are, are are like events that that have that are more targeted towards the refugee uh, community, but also just from other you know from film festivals from the very beginning actually, um, and um, and people who have been through the asylum system and have experienced um, certain things in the film, you know. I, standing up in in the the audience after the screening or 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 and, and telling you know telling us about their experience and how they're they've um, been affected by the film and have responded to the film and or coming up afterwards and, and having those conversations and I think that that's something that you know it was just amazing all the way through and quite overwhelming as well and also it's a, it's a strange thing because it's of course that's ultimately the thing like the thing that I wanted the most because if you make a film about the subject matter and then people that because it's not my lived experience so people that have actually experienced that and been through these things and they're like nah this film's terrible it doesn't I don't relate to it at all that would have been the worst possible thing to happen and actually you know it's just been uh, overwhelmingly positive so it's a it's a, a huge relief but um a very special feeling as well Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, so the next question, um, someone has asked, how long is your development process normally before you look for funding? Um, and could being funded too early ever, ever disrupt the idea that you have? Now, I know that you've only been through the process once, so you might not have like a full answer to that. But do you think that if you, if you had gone in for funding at a much earlier stage that you wouldn't have the film that you have now? Yeah. I think probably not. I think that that's, that's, it's a little bit like what I was saying about showing the edit too early. You don't want to show a script too early. Um, I think if you are a, I will speak from the context of being a writer director, that the most important thing is for you to have a, a vision and to be able to articulate that vision to other to other people, to the execs, to all of the different people that, that you work with. And if you're not kind of really sure in your vision, um, then it's very, it's such a rigorous process that it, it, it's very easy to be taken in a different direction. So that's kind of, again, it was like with Picadero, we didn't have that and, I, and Picadero was exactly what I wanted to achieve at the time. It's the film, exactly the film that I wanted to make at the time. And there was, you know, and I'll think differently about it now, but at the time, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And there was no involvement. And then with Limbo as well, like it sounds like, but it is, that is the film that I wanted to make. And I think it was the time that we spent and the pain, it's so painful for me, at least writing. It's a horrible experience. It's painful. And it's, <laughs> it, yeah and it's I think it's easy to kind of go oh, I just need to get it sent send it out and for someone to read it and to tell me something but you could just kind of need to re I think you just need to sort of um resist that and and that's you know so it, my current project and the project you know, the project I'm writing at the moment like we've been very fortunate because of limbo that the the, the the people funding it the execs they don't even know what it is 
because I requested that I just want to be left alone. I'm not even going to talk about the idea. I don't want to talk about anything. I'm just going to go and write it and then I'm going to show you. Um, and, and for me, I think that's just a way to kind of spend the time and, and re be really sure in, in, in what you're doing. So one of the questions that did come in was, um, what are you working on next? But we won't, we won't pressure you into talking about it. Um, but from what you're saying, there's a, there's a film that you're working on at the moment. Um, and, and I guess one of the questions I kind of have around your future projects is, obviously you and I, Rooney, have been working together your whole career. And, and for you, is that, is that the, the dream to continue to make everything together? Because as a director, you're probably getting loads of offers, I would imagine, off the back of Limbo. Um, but do you, do you have a sense of what it is that you would like your sort of journey to be as a writer-director? Yeah, I mean, I think that that, yeah, that's the thing. I really want to continue on, on, on the journey that, that I'm already on and on this trajectory. And, you know, with Limbo, we're, you know, we're doing and I'm doing exactly what I wanted to with having our own production company we were the production company that produced Limbo, you know, the partnership between me and Arune and writing and directing the films. And yeah, it's interesting because there has been offers and things to, you know, to, to, to direct and kind of, you know, especially getting the, the American agents and, and all of that side of stuff that, but, and it's quite difficult to resist that, but I know that it, I, I need to keep doing this for now, even though, it feels sometimes like it is very painful and very difficult. And sometimes it feels like, oh, it'd be just quite nice to go and direct something and just kind of, I think the writing is so difficult. Writing is, is, is a very difficult process. Um, so yeah, basically to continue on, on, on what, with what we're already doing. And that, so that's what we're, we're trying to do with, with the next film and, and you know, the other projects um, that we've got at, at the moment as well. Well, I'm really excited to see what you make next. Um, something lighter to finish up with. So this will be our last question. And this one's from me. Um, you kind of mentioned that you listen to a lot of podcasts and so on. Um, so some of these might come in here, but what are you watching right now? And what's been exciting you? What, what would you recommend to people? And, and I say watching, but you can talk about books. You can talk about podcasts. What is it that's, what, that's making you really excited as a creative? Yeah, well... I mean, one thing that I'm going through is that with a four-month-old baby, I'm not watching nearly enough films um, and I'm figuring out how to watch films. So I'm starting to like, this is the, what we were talking about earlier as well, like your time management when you have a baby has to be super strict. So I'm figuring out how to build watching films into, into my day. Um, but I, I mean, I actually, I watched... Um, the Wild Pear Tree, Nuri Bill Shailan's latest film for the second time today because I just, I always feel inspired by his work. Um, I have also, what have I watched? I have watched some, I mean, the, the Worst Person in the World. The Worst, is that what it's called? The, I think it is, the yeah, The Worst Person in the World. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, watched that recently, which I loved. I felt, again, it was like I, some kind of inspiration from, and I, I, that's the other thing, like as I'm writing, I want to watch films that inspire me, that I can take something from. Um, that's often quite difficult to find. Um, uh, so those two films I've watched recently, um, podcasts, I listen to um, the A24 podcast. Um, I listen to um, Team Deacons, which I thoroughly recommend. Um, because he's, they speak to a sort of really interesting range of people from cinematographers, to editors, to directors, to writers. Um, so yeah, those, those two podcasts. And then when I'm, I'm, <laughs> when I'm not listening to film stuff, I listen to um, Off Menu, which just for some reason at the moment kind of hits the spot. I really love food. So that's the other, the other side. You need of it. guilty pleasures. You need you yeah. need that's just a guilty pleasure sometimes as well, don't you? Yeah. Amazing. Those are some great tips. Um, thank you, Ben, for giving up your time and for sharing your knowledge and expertise this evening. We have run out of time, um, and I mean, I could have we could have probably spoken for a good couple of hours more. Um, yeah. 
thank you to you, to the audience for your questions. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Please do join the conversation on the BAFTA Scotland social channels. Thank you for joining us tonight and goodbye. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.